I'm really honored to be here and put a face to the so many names that I've heard Cody and Leilana talk about. And I do want to say thank you to giving my brother-in-law and sister a, uh, a good place to call home, a good family, a good church family that they can come here and worship with. Uh, I have been blessed by this service already, especially by Rhoda's testimony here. Um, I'm always amazed when I hear, when I see people get up and they're willing to share their testimony for what the Lord has done in their life. Um, especially, I, I'm an auctioneer, and public speaking is something that always fascinates me. And not always been good at it. It's a, it's a skill I try to grow in. But to just give you an idea of how hard it is for people to get up and share testimonies and things like that, studies have proven that 90% of people are more scared of public speaking than they are of death. So at a funeral, 9 out of 10 people would rather be in the casket than given the eulogy. Um, and so that's, that's not an easy thing to do. You can turn the feed your Bibles this morning to Luke. Luke chapter 14. And also bookmark 2 Kings chapter 13. Let's all stand as we read the word of the Lord together. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. And there were great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own wife also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. We're turning to 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his illness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him, and wept over his face, and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow, and he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hand upon the king's hand. And he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground, and he smote thrice, and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Thou hast smitten, then thou hast smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. You may be seated. Kevin Carter. Probably a name none of you have ever heard about. I know I had never heard about it until a couple months ago. But he was a reporter and a member of what was known as the Bang Bang Club. He was a photographer sent in 1993 to Africa to chronicle, a group of photographers to chronicle the mass violence and starvation that was plaguing that country. 1993, they, they went out and they were 
taking photographs, and he wandered off into the bush, and he heard some whimpering. And he went to see what it was, and he came across this. I'm going to try to show, do my best to show you this picture here. I'll walk through so you can see it. And this was the picture that he took. This was a scene that he came across in Ayod Sedan. When he got back, and that picture was put in the New York Times, Time Magazine now lists that photo as one of the top 100 photographs ever taken. In 1994, he, uh, blow your speakers out here, so I'll put that back a little bit. In 1994, he won a Pulitzer Prize for that photograph, a, uh, the top honor that any photographer could ever get for a, a single photograph that he took. A few months after he won the Pulitzer Prize, Kevin Carter committed suicide. Now what that picture doesn't tell you is when Kevin Carter, when he came upon that scene, that was a little girl on her way to a, food, a feeding center. And she was so weak that she would collapse. And this vulture had landed near her, and, as the, and it would come close just waiting for her to give up. And Kevin Carter and those photographers, they were instructed before they, before they got to Africa that they were not to touch, they were not to help, that there were so many diseases that it was too dangerous for them to assist. And so as the vulture would get a little closer, Kevin Carter would go over there and he would kind of scare it away. And he hung around as long as he could, hoping that this vulture would just go away. And it never did, and he, he left, and he never found out whatever happened to that little girl. Studies prove later that she ended up, she made it to the feeding center. She didn't die right there. She ended up passing away 14 years later from a malarial fever. Pursuits in life. We, we've heard a lot this morning about, and we always do it this, this time every year, of What's coming next? What does the new year hold? What did we, what did we do last year? What, what was our highlights and what did we learn? And, and we're going forward now. And what, what does the new year hold? And we all have our own pursuits and we all have our, our things we would like to do. And, and that's fine. But as we can learn from the story of Kevin Carter, that we can go out and whatever your career may be, we can, we can earn the biggest prizes, we can earn the, the greatest awards, but that is not enough. That is not enough. It, it, those awards are fine, you know, somebody, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with them, but when that becomes your sole driving force in life, it becomes really empty. I, for one, I, we feel really blessed this year, even though with a pandemic, we've had, I've had, a, I had a really, really good 2020. Um, I've, seen, I've seen growth in my career that I've never, ever seen before. Um, we, our family started going to a church that we absolutely love, that has welcomed us in and treated us like one of their own in a short time. And one thing that they've done is they've taught us and they've nurtured us spiritually to show what a life wholly consecrated to God looks like. 
And that's what we're going to look at this morning of how committed are you to God. So as we look at Luke, so look at the 14th chapter of Luke here. We see Jesus, okay, he's walking along, and, and there's a couple reasons, and we look at the reason why he goes into it. If, it really, in verse 25, it kind of tells us why he talks, speaks the message he does, and how it relates to the church today. It says, and there were great multitudes with him, and he turned. So we come to a church like this, and I don't know how many people are here today. I, I know our church, but we got about 80, 90 people, something like that. Okay? They're saying there's always safety in numbers. There's always safety in numbers. It's so much easier to just go along with the crowd. Um, uh, last night I was watching this thing on YouTube with my two little girls, and it was taught, we were watching something about sea turtles, and it was talking about fish and how there's, you know, the ocean is so vast, and there's so, but there's yet like deserts in the ocean where there's no life, and these sea turtles. Every so often throughout their life, they'll swim through these mass deserts where there's really no other life. And if they do come across other life, there's, there's massive, um, they come in big groups because there's so much safety in numbers. And so kind of what we see painting out in Luke here is that picture. People were going along and they were following after Jesus and there was great multitudes. And, you know, probably if you know, studies show anything, at least 75% of them, they were just like trying, probably seeing what was going on here with this guy that, you know, Jesus from Nazareth, but they weren't really sold out. You know, they might have liked what he said, but they weren't really wholeheartedly committed. And in verse 26, when he, when Jesus turns around, he says, he turned and he said unto them, he says, if any man come to me and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that is a peculiar thing to say. The Bible teaches us to love, okay? The Bible it teaches us that, you know, to love all men, especially those that God gifted us with. Okay, I got two little girls here, little Molly, I love her with all my heart. Couldn't imagine life without her. And God gave her to me to protect and to nurture. But here, and why is Jesus telling me to hate her? Because that's essentially what he's saying. He says, if any man come to me and hate not, that, that is in the, on the surface, it is in direct contrast. If, if we just stop there, if we, it's, it's in direct contrast to what the rest of the Bible would tell us to do. But it doesn't stop there. It says, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now we see that phrase again. Cannot be my disciple. If, he, if you don't do this and you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus is laying it out here that faith is active. That faith is an active thing. That it is a constant. You, you, you constantly have to be doing something. It's like in every verse, he's setting the bar. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, you have to do this. If you're going to follow me, you have to do this. Over and over and over again. And if we look at other scripture, and we compare other scripture to this, we can get a better, a better understanding of what he's meaning. He's meaning that our love for Christ, and we, and we all know this. I'm not, I'm not imparting some great mystery 
Okay, we, we all know this. But if we do not love Christ to the point that we hate everyone around us, including the ones that we hold dearest, I mean, the thought of me hating Molly is unfathomable. I, I mean, I can't even imagine it. But my love for Christ has to be such, I have to be so sold out that it's like I hate her. And that, my question for you today is, are you there? Is your love for Christ, your desire to serve Christ, so that you hate your own children? Now, I'm, I'm not talking about a physical hate where we now neglect them in our pursuit for Christ, okay? But do you love them to a point, do you love Christ to a point where it's like you hate your own children? What Christ is saying here, that if you are going to follow him, you owe him everything. Period. There is nothing that is yours. Period. You owe him everything. And, we, and in verse 27, and whosoever cannot bear his cross, okay, and come after me cannot be my disciple. And we, and we think Jesus is talking here, and he has not died on the cross yet, okay? He has not carried his own cross the Calvary. So what could he be meaning? And in that time, as if you would commit a crime and you were caught, you were taken before the governor or the, the emperor, whatever, whoever it may have been, and you were sentenced to death, and they were you were given your cross, and you were to carry that through the streets to wherever your place of execution may be. And by you carrying that cross was a sign and an admission of your guilt. It was a a token stating that, yes, I am guilty, I am worthy of death, and I am carrying my burdens to my death. And so what Christ is saying here, he says, take up whoever does not bear his cross, if whoever does not admit that I am but a lowly sinner, I am not worthy, cannot be my disciple. You cannot go through life thinking that I can earn my way in. So we read this and we think, well, th this is simple stuff. We've heard this in church our entire life. I, I have. I, I grew up and, you know, we went to church almost every Sunday. And, and, and this is basic stuff. It says in verse 28, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Now, I don't know how many of you here have ever been to Las Vegas. I, I've been a few times on business. But uh, right on, if you go down Las Vegas Boulevard toward the north end, about halfway down the strip, there sits a huge, brand new casino. Big blue building, glass, I mean, one of the nicest ones, casinos on the strip. But it sits completely gutted, unfinished, with big construction fence all the way around it. You can't even see in it. In 2000, a construction began on that, I believe, in 2008. It was known as the Fountain Blue or it's going to be known as the Drew now, the Las Vegas Drew Casino. In 2008, a company started building it, and they ran out of money. In 2009, they, they were running into financial difficulty, and they secured some more financing to finish it. And Bank of, I think it was Bank of America said, no more, we're cutting off your $800 million worth of financing. And that big casino sits there completely gutless. Only thing that's finished is the glass on the outside, and even now, as time, as weather hits that building, 
glass is starting to fall and it's starting to feel the effects of age. Can you imagine being that developer? You'd spent hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know how many acres it sits on, but land on that part of the strip is around 50, I think around 50 million per acre. We're not counting the cost to construct it. We're just talking land. It's probably four, I'm saying at least four or five acres. So we're, we're not talking hundreds of millions. We're talking billions of dollars. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? Whether he has sufficient to finish it, lest happily, after he had laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it, and all that behold him, behold it, begin to mock him. Do you think that huge, multi-billion dollar tower in Las Vegas Boulevard is not a little bit of a, a thing to mock? You started out, you had the best laid plans, but it wasn't enough. So we know it takes everything to follow Christ. We owe him everything. We owe him our children. We owe him our very own life. Turn to Second King. If you can go, turn to Second Kings. We see an interesting story here, and this story always struck me as not really being totally fair to King Joash, because Elisha. What does Elisha tell him to do? Kind of, kind of. King Joash was kind of. Kind of, what do you say, ambushed here, it feels like. When you just read over this, it feels like King Joash, he wasn't given the whole story. He wasn't really told exactly what to do. I mean, really, according to Elisha's command right here, says, take the arrow, take the arrow to strike the ground. And really, by definition, if you want to get technical, all King Joash would have had to do was strike the ground one time, and he would have been... I mean, he would have followed the order. But what, what does it say he did? He says he took the arrows and he struck the ground three times. And in verse 19, it says, And the man of God was wroth with him. Now, now that doesn't seem totally fair. Like I said, he, 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 followed, he followed Elisha's commandment. He said, strike the ground. He struck the ground three times. Well, why didn't he strike the ground just one time? I mean, Elisha didn't say strike the ground, you know, five times. Elisha just said strike the ground. He took the arrows and he struck the ground three times. By all measures, he went above and beyond what Elisha told him to do. He, he went the extra mile. So why was Elisha angry with him? It says, thou should have smitten the ground five or six times, and then thou hast smitten Syria Till thou hast consumed. And, and there's very one simple explanation. God calls us to give our everything. When Elisha told King Joash to strike the ground with those arrows, just like Christ has called us to follow him, he requires our everything. And I see too many in the church today that Christ has given us these arrows and he says, strike the ground, and we strike the ground three times and we say, whoo, he told, he didn't tell me how many times, but I did it once and I did it twice, I did it three times. 
I'm good now. I, I'm in a good, comfortable spot. I, I, I followed the Lord's command technically. Okay, I, I've desecrated my life to Him. I, I've given, you know, I, I follow Him. I, I go to church. I, I go with the crowd. And the man of God was angry with us. God doesn't call us to strike the ground three times and give up. He wants us to give our everything. We strike the ground until we can strike the ground no more with everything we have. And when we think we're done, we continue on and we give our all to God, period. Nothing left behind, nothing left to chance. We owe him everything. Turning back to Luke 14. Skipping down to verse 33, it says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We see that third warning. Forsake all that you have. We owe Christ everything. And I'm not saying... I. I not one saying that we all need to quit our jobs and we need to go in the, you know, all go out into the mission field and, you know, live like paupers. That, that is not at all what I'm saying. When, when Christ says that you, we owe him everything, we truly owe him everything. When we're at work, we owe him that. When, we, when we're at home, we owe him that. We owe whatever Christ may bring into our life, we owe it to him. It is not ours, it is his. When Job said, for the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord, may that be our prayer. Because whether it's your child or whether it's career or whatever it may be, we owe it all to him. In verse 34, it says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that had ears to hear, let him hear. If you're only striking the ground three times in your life, have you not lost your savor? Have we, has the church today not just struck the ground a couple times and given it our best shot and saying, well, we, we gave it a good run? And we're nice and comfortable sitting right here where we're at. And, and, and we've committed, you know, we, 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 these are great words to hear. We, we've committed everything. But do we know what it means to be truly, wholeheartedly give everything? If tomorrow, what's that song by Lee Greenwood? If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd worked for all my life, and I had to start again. Would we be willing to say, blessed be the name of the Lord? Praise God. If you can't, there is a challenge. And I, I must admit, in my life, it, it is, this has been a struggle. This has been a struggle to know whether I have fully committed everything. Because I, I have a good life. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I, I have a great life. I have a beautiful wife. I have two children. I have a great career that I absolutely love. I, my family is okay, like Cody. 
okay. Not saying there's no areas that could improve, but I have a good life. But if I woke up tomorrow and everyone that I knew was gone and everything that I ever loved was gone, what is my response? What, what would my response be? Would it be bitterness or would it be praise? And we talked this morning, we had a lot of talk this morning about depression. I, I come from a family that has dealt with a lot of depression. And my, my grandfather, he, was, he struggled with depression his entire life. Um, several of my aunts, I remember um, I was probably six or seven years old. I was at my cousin's house, and my other aunt pulled up with her kids, got out of the van, and started running down the street because she just couldn't take care of her kids no more. Um, and so I, I'm very familiar with the effects of depression. Can we say, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and that's what he's getting at here. That, that's what Jesus is getting at here. And every verse through this passage, he's raising the stakes. He says, you've got to hate these over here compared to how much you love me. If, if you lose them, and you lose your faith, if losing them causes you to lose your faith, then you really don't love me enough. You really don't wholeheartedly trust what I'm doing, or who I am, or what I have done. And we see this today, especially, and it seems to me that this, the whole pandemic has brought about a, well, has amplified a great divide in the church today. Has amp- it's, I shouldn't say a divide. It has amplified a great problem. Because we, we believe that, and, and I'm, I don't know what y'all did. Our, our church, we went to drive-in service for a little while, and then we went, now we're back inside like here, and pretty much we've come to the terms that if the governor, governor comes and tell us, tells us to shut down again, we're going to basically politely decline. They, they can do what they, they want. And, um, there's a preacher in Beavertown, or, yeah, Beavertown, Pennsylvania. He, they told their local officials that if there's 100 people there and 90 of them get COVID, there'll still be 10 there preaching the word. That they're not shutting down again. And, and they've, got a, they've been very much harassed in that world. But the amount of fear that I've seen coming out of churches, and I... They're, the more conservative groups have been, I should say, the more consistent with it um, as far as not seeing it. But you see your more, your, I should say, community churches. But it's not a blanket thing. It's not any one denomination. It's not any one sect of any one group. But there is a lot of fear coming out of the church today. Where does that fear come from? Is that, is, that tells me that maybe the church is not as sold out for Christ as what it should be. Maybe that we've only struck the arrow three times, and we've considered it good, and, and now we're, we're ready to just, just move on, and now we can, we can do whatever, but no. Has your church... Have you personally, forget the church, it starts with you personally, have you personally, are you striking the ground now? Or have you struck the ground before and said, well, I'm just, 
I'm okay. I got a good life. I'm just ready to move on. So my challenge is for you in this new year is to make sure that you're wholeheartedly committed. If you want to see change in your church, if you want to see change in your community, you want to see change in your family, we all know where that starts. It is a deeply personal experience. I know that's my challenge. That's, that's my desire for this new year. It's to make sure that I have not struck the ground three times and left. That I, in whatever I do, I give my all. And my, my wife says with the Riviere's that we're, we're either all or nothing. We're, we're either wholeheartedly in or we're wholeheartedly out. Well, I want to say today that I want to be wholeheartedly in for Christ. I want, in a world so full of darkness, that we be a light. And in a world racked with fear of a virus, that we're that, we're, we're that steady rock. That we've allowed Christ to do so much work in our life that we, we go about our lives, we, we, know there's a, we know there's stuff out there that can kill us just, just like there's always been, but we say the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Come what may. I appreciate you having me this morning. And uh, we will keep you in our thoughts and prayers, and we wish you would do the same. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. All or nothing. Amen? Amen. So, I was just thinking of some of those things. Uh, you know, when you say it's, it's really hard to talk about the hate, and, and I, I believe it might be a, a different hate, but it's still, it's still the, main, the meaning, and so when uh, my little nephew, Foster, that my uh, brother-in-law had, the family had for six and a half years, and the judge all of a sudden said, take him away to his mom that wasn't fit to be his mom, I tend to think moms are not necessarily biological, they're either your mom or your mom, so, um, so when that happened, um, I already had this is bad, but I, I, I wish I wouldn't have rededicated my life just yet. Because I wanted to do something to hurt that judge. And, and if it would have been before, this was serious enough, this was close enough to us, that I would have done something, I'm guessing. Uh, I'm not sure to what extent, but I did write letters. But the thing is, God trumps everything. And I said that with Tommy I did not mean that. I did not. I was glad I rededicated my life. God was the one... I, I had to put, James, I had to put that somewhere else because I serve a God and His Word does not change. It doesn't mean because this circumstance happened that I could just change it to, to make this happen and then I'm going back to God. No. Wholeheartedly, all the way in, it really spoke to me this morning. Thank you so much. That's what, that, I hope that's our, of all the other goals, I've got my own set of goals. And this afternoon we're writing them together, my wife and I. But I hope this trumps everything. God first, and, and basically sold out, sold out. I want to open it up. I just keep on talking. I'm excited.
say no. What was the last part? Hold. Okay. If I'm not bold for Christ, am I losing? Am I running? Where am I at? And and what he just said, striking the arrow. That's a daily event. It should be. It should be consistent in our life as with Christ. Because I might have brought this up before.
God for that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing that.